Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither you, we, nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us individually, that your word is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path, that it's a supernatural communication to us. And we ask that as we enter into it this morning and go through the word, that your word will go through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul and Barnabas had just gotten back from a missions trip. And it was a long one. It was their first one and it was a long one. And for whatever reason, they weren't you know, able to keep up with what was going on back home. I mean, probably because they had, you know, they were traveling to remote areas and they had AT&T wireless so they couldn't call home. Um, sorry, Tim. <laughs> but they couldn't keep up with their Twitter or their Facebook. So they didn't know when they got back that some things had been changing in their hometown of Antioch. And what had changed was these these brothers and sisters and family and friends that had encountered Christ, that had uh, found freedom in Christ and had given their lives over to Jesus, that some visitors had come from Jerusalem. They were called Judaizers. And they were saying, hey, look, while we appreciate your enthusiasm... We have some things you need to do. You got saved. That's awesome. Congrats. But now you got some extra things that you got to add to it. They were saying that grace plus X, Y, and Z equals salvation. And what they were specifically suggesting to them, and you can imagine this was to the dismay of many of the men in the community, was that they needed to be circumcised. Imagine how church would grow if that was what you're selling. And men's group, this Monday is Circumcision Monday. you got to think that would be a little challenging, which is probably why later Peter would say, why are we making it so difficult for these guys? Because they had encountered, these were Jewish men. This was, they, were, they were saying, look, this is great, but you got to be more Jewish. you got to be more like us. There's things you just got to do, rituals and regulations and things that got to happen. And Paul and Barnabas came back to town and found this going on. And much to the joy of the men in the community, Paul said this in verse 2. He said, um, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Which is, Bible speak for, it really ticked them off. They were irritated. They were frustrated. Because they were changing the rules a little bit. In fact, later Paul would write a letter to Galatia, which by the way... Antioch was in Galatia, so if it'd be like Cool Springs area would be Brentwood and Franklin, and the Galatia area would include Antioch and Syria and these other little places. And so the, when he wrote the book of Galatians, if you want to turn there, he was writing this book, this letter that we call a book, to these people. And he said in chapter 1, verse 6, man, I was astonished at how quickly you were deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It was furious. He was furious. It was infuriating for Paul because it was the gospel of Christ, of believing, of what Jesus said, believe on me and you'll have eternal life. That if you just believe on him. And so often in our lives, we tend to do the same thing. And you might think, Darren, look, this is awesome, except that I got grace down. I do. I know it was Jesus. He died for my sins, and I accepted him in my heart. And, and I get it, and you get it. But sometimes, oftentimes, we don't live like it. And in seduction of going back to rules and to regulations, to build in that fence to keep us safe, what ends up happening is we build cages around us of rules and regulations and rituals. That would require us to think that, man, I need this miracle so badly, so I'm going to now, if I pray more, if I press in harder, if I, you know, storm the gates of heaven and, you know, pray and fast, that then I can get this miracle. Thinking that salvation was the original deal, and then everything else, it's like I've signed the contract, and then this bait and switch happened. I'm, I'm now, I'm saved that my life is new and my spirit is reborn and now I get to do all these new rules and these new regulations. And while we might not have circumcision Monday around here, we tend to do like, if you fast for 21 days, well, then you can get what God is. Because it's just, you got to do that to press in. And then you can get what God has for you. Whereas Paul would write, for those of us that are depending on miracles, thinking, man, I got to pray more, I got to work more, I got to you know, fast and read my Bible every day. Paul says this in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Did God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Is it because of that I worked hard enough for it? Or is it because I just believed what he promised me? Is that why he would work a miracle among us? And in grace... This idea that we say we believe, we get so seduced and tempted back under it. Because notice that in Acts 15, it was Peter that stood up and said that. He said, why do we put this yoke on the disciples? Peter, that's awesome. But when you read this letter, when Paul is recounting this experience in Acts, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That is Bible speak for I ripped him a new one. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. They would have, man, sometimes I really wish that I was in the early church for many reasons, but one of which, they had like potluck dinners all the time. They'd come together for these agape feasts and they would bring food together and they would then have communion and it was a part of their tradition and their society. And Peter would go with them and eat their foods. It was bacon, salad with bacon bits, bacon burgers, bacon wraps. All kinds of things that were unclean. And Peter was able to do this because Jesus, a few chapters earlier in Acts, if you remember, there was a vision that Peter had. It was the first pigs in a blanket. It was this blanket in the sky with food and bacon and coming out of the sky. And he said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. He was saying that because of Jesus' blood, all this is done. The curse is over. It's paid for. It's clean. You could eat bacon bits. I think we should stop and sing right now. But Peter, not long, late, not long after that, here is Peter. Paul is saying that part of what was happening there was Peter was when the Judaizers, when the guys from the Jerusalem church came, that Peter's like, okay, I can't eat with you guys anymore. 
I got to go back to eating with the, Jew, the Jews. I got to go back as a Christian. I got to add these new rules and these new regulations. I got to go back to that. And Paul said, look, pal. And it says that I opposed him in front of everybody. He ripped him a new one saying, look, that is not it, Peter. And Peter obviously repented. And then Peter would stand up and say, look, guys, why did you, why would you possibly do this? Put a yoke on these believers that we ourselves couldn't even bear. Peter came to his senses. Paul would then write later at the end of chapter 2 of Galatians, he says in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In the King James, he says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. Trying to say that, look, I appreciate your enthusiasm, God, but I feel like I got to do these things. I got to make this happen on my own because if I pray enough, then it'll happen. If I came to you and said, I just, I, look, I love you. I want to show you that love and I'm going to pay off your mortgage. Right? And you come back and, you, and I come back later and I find out that you're writing checks to your mortgage company still. I got to tell you, that'd frustrate me a little bit. And it would frustrate you. It, these homes that we've built in Haiti, if you're visiting, we've been building homes for th- those that have been left with nothing in, in Jacmel, Haiti, with tents and rubble. And so we're building homes for them. And if I were to go to Haiti and find that Antoine, Papa Antoine, one of the guys we built a house for, was, was writing a check to a bank to pay for his house that was given to him, i got to tell you, that would frustrate me. And it would frustrate Antoine because it's doing him no good at all. He's just giving away something for nothing. And to follow that metaphor deeper and further, he'd be writing it from an account with insufficient funds. It would, it would not even insufficient funds. It's the wrong currency. I can't even possibly, I could try to pay for what Jesus did, but I don't even carry not enough of that, but I don't even have the right kind of currency. It was his blood. It was the blood of a perfect man that would pay for our sins. I don't have that. I'm not perfect. So I'm writing in a check from an insufficient account from the wrong currency to pay for something that Jesus did for me for free. I think that would frustrate me and him. I don't frustrate the grace of God. If you go to Second Samuel with me, I could give you metaphors all day long, but God gave us a perfect one. I mean, if you've ever been to dinner with somebody and you want to, you like them and you want to reward them for, you know, maybe something they've done or just bless them because you love them like your grandpa and, and then grandpa fights for the check and he wants to pay for it himself. You know, it's, it's not very gracious and, it, and it's frustrating because I know I want to do this for you and grandpa's not, no, I'm going to, the metaphors go on and on, but the Lord gave us a perfect one in second Samuel with a guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, man, his life blew. This guy was born into a family where he was, he was damned the day he was born because he was the grandson of Saul. We talked about Saul last week. He was killed and murdered by an Amalekite and David was now going to be taking over as the new king. And in that day, in that society, when a new king took over, if you were a descendant of the previous dynasty, you knew that your life was over that you were going to be killed. And Mephibosheth, as a young boy, it's recorded in 2 Samuel 4, that as a young boy, his nanny knew that this was going to happen and ran with him, carried him up, picked him up, and ran out the door like the house was on fire. And because she fell, she tripped and she fell on the way out the door. And he was young enough that when she landed, that because of this fall, it 
injured, broke, did something to his feet so that it's recorded that he was lame in both of his feet. And in this story of this guy named Mephibosheth, whose name in the literal Hebrew, it literally means living shame, who then escaped to a town called Lodebar. And Lodebar, that word means nothingness. Look, I grew up in Nebraska, and I think that it actually in the original English means middle of. There's a little sign. It's, it actually, with no sense of irony, when you drive into Nebraska, there's a the, the Nebraska, and again, no sense of irony. It says, the good life. That's our logo. Are you kidding me? I've been there. We have corn. That's kind of it. No, we have football. So we have corn and football. But here's Mephibosheth who goes to Lodebar, which is a town that means nothing. And in this, God has drawn a picture. This guy's life that was so hopeless is a picture of grace for us. Perfect, better than any metaphor that I could give you. It says in 2 Samuel 9 that David asked, is there anyone who's still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The king. Jonathan is dead. His friend, his best friend, who had done so many good things for him, had provided assistance to him on many occasions. Jonathan, who was the son of his enemy, Saul, the king, and he's dead now. And, and, and David's saying, is there anybody that I can show kindness to on his behalf? And as we look at this story, I want you to notice a couple of things that as it applies to us, as it looks like in our daily lives, as far as what God did for us. And the first thing I want you to notice is how he sought him. Because it says, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. What a beautiful baby. Let's name him Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba and your servant? He replied. In verse 3, says, The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. And Ziba answered, verse 4, That he is at the house of Maker, son of Amamiel, in Lodebar. The king looked for a guy to show kindness to, not because of how good he was, but because of Jonathan, because of what Jonathan had done. And he sent his servant, Ziba, a picture of the Holy Spirit that would go find this guy whose name meant living shame in a town that meant nothing and draw him and call him back to the king's palace. The way that he sought him is the way that your father has sought you and sought me. Chosen us not because of how good we are, not because I'm so clever or so impossibly good looking, obviously, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. He went and sought and drew you and drew me to him. Not because I'm clever. Not because I'm good. Not because you are. But because of what Jesus did. The way that he sought him. And then notice in verse 9 what he showed him. He brought him in and he says, don't be afraid. Because Mephibosheth is bowing down thinking, this is it, it's over, this is a trap, I'm going to be murdered. He's afraid of the king, he's been on a run from the king, and now he's been brought to the king. And in verse 9, this is what David showed him. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons, 
uh, your servants are to farm the land for him and bring him crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. He showed him kindness. The Bible tells us that it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. When he brought you and I in, drew us in, he brought us to show us kindness and mercy. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because of Jesus. He showed him kindness and then notice where he sat him. You and your sons, verse 10, are to firm, I'm sorry, go down uh, to the end of verse 10. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your masters, the end of that verse, will always eat at my table. And a little bit down further into the next verse, it says, And so Mephibosheth ate at the David's table, the king's table, like one of the king's sons. This guy named Living Shame, who was in a town called Nothing, was brought into the king, but not because of anything he did. It was a complete surprise and a complete shock because of his love, not for what he had done, but because of what Jonathan had done, and brought to the king's table to eat. That doesn't mean much to us because we go to Kroger. But man, when you lived in this place, if you live currently in a place like Haiti, a place like India, come being invited to the king's table, that's a pretty big flipping deal. Because there's a constant supply of food, of provision, of love. Because he was no longer a guy living in nowhere. He was the king's son. And in that is the picture for us. That our father would look for you and I, choosing us, no matter how good or how bad we think we are, and bring us into his presence to feed us, to treat us as one of his sons because of what Jesus had done for us. And I love this verse, verse 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And, and this is the part that is just striking to me. And he was crippled in both of his feet. Because we have this idea that now that I'm saved, I gotta, now I gotta, gotta, gotta. I gotta get my walk right with the Lord. It was like salvation was, grace was the starting point. And then the rest of it was this new things, these new rules and regulations and rituals we got to follow. And I got news for me and for you that grace wasn't the starting point, it's the point. Salvation, that word sozo, didn't just mean an entrance point, it was everything. All of it was covered. Your healing, your provision, your forgiveness, all of it was provided because of grace. Not because you're especially uh, funny or good, but because God just chose you because he invited you in because of what Jesus had done. And that's grace. And if you're limping today and your walk with the Lord, isn't that great, so to speak, then I say limp to the table, limp to the Lord's table. He's invited us to dine with him. In in John 21, Peter had blown it big time. And Jesus would say, come and dine with me, Peter. Come eat at my table. David would later write in Psalm that there's a table in the wilderness set up for us, even in the presence of our enemies. This picture of a table that we could come to, the Lord's table, what he did for us. And you might be thinking, Darren, this is all great and it's all good and I get it all. It's, it feels kind of elementary and I want you to know, first of all, 
It's not elementary. Paul would say, at least I believe it was Paul. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews in chapter 5 and 17 that he would separate immature and mature Christians not based upon how little they cussed, but on whether they understood grace. He said that you, it, the difference between this, Hebrews 5.17, was you, you'd be skilled in the teaching of righteousness. The, the teaching of righteousness, of grace, that righteousness was given to us as a gift. That we are holy brethren, not because of what we've done, but because Jesus has made us holy. Can we believe that? And that's what we have to do, just believe it. That's the difference between immature and mature Christians. It's why you might think, why do we got to go back to this again? If you don't understand it, if you're like Peter and you've been seduced back under it, thinking I got to work to make this happen, I got good news. Because you might be thinking, Darren, this is great. I'm at the table and my plate has a piece of parsley on it. Not a big fan of the parsley. Parsley is a decoration. It is not a meal. Or maybe you feel like I've got a smoothie. And to me, a smoothie, not a meal. If you can't use a fork, it is not a meal. That is a beverage. And so you have a beverage, but you don't have, your plate isn't full. And sometimes I think, I, I don't know, this is, we're going from Darren's scripture to Darren's opinion. If you try to work for it, maybe God's just given you what you earned, which is not much. <laughs> enjoy your parsley, enjoy your beverage. This is what you've worked for. But I would say to you a couple of thoughts, and then we're going to land this plane. So get your seat backs up, tray tables returned. If, if you've not, if you feel like I'm at the table and, and there's nothing there and it's because you've been working for it, man, I would suggest that like Peter, that you just repent and say, oh God, I'm so sorry. I've tried to add to this. I've tried to say that grace plus X, Y, and Z is what my salvation is. And just repent and go back to where it started. Repent of what you've done and get to that place where I just believe the simplicity of that. And Darren, I, I've, I've repented and there I am. And I still, it's not happened for me. And then I would say, if you requested, Jesus says that you have not because you ask not. And look, don't get me wrong. This is not a, if I pray hard enough, pray long enough, pray enough times, put the prayer on my mirror, put the prayer on my steering wheel, my refrigerator. Have you requested in the way that is a relationship? I, when I have a conversation with my kids, they're requesting things of me. They're not demanding it and they don't beg, you know, sometimes they're begging me, but, but they're asking me and there's a relationship that's being cultivated because of it. And sometimes they come to me all at the same time, very rarely, by the way. And all of them agree on one thing and they want to ask, can we do this daddy? And let me tell you what, I know why God loves the prayer of agreement. Cause if I get to my kids to agree on anything, they're done. Sign me up for that. So rare. <laughs> yes. One movie that everybody wanted to see. Which, by the way, was not the Bieber fever. Not everybody wanted to see that. After the service today, we will be calling forth the elders to lay hands and anoint with oil those that have been stricken by the Bieber fever. You will be healed today. But you go into his presence and asking and requesting. And Darren, that's great. I've repented. I've requested. And still, I, it just doesn't feel like it's working for me. It's not here yet. So request. And then, man, just relax. Chill out. Because I got to tell you, my kids sometimes come to me asking for donuts. And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes it's no. And sometimes they understand. Most times they don't. And they can beg and pry, you know, squeal. And I mean, sometimes Ethan will, Daddy, I want to play Halo. And if I say no, then he's just, I mean, he will drop to the floor. Like I have just cut off his pinky toe and weep. <laughs> 
But sometimes the answer is yes and sometimes no. Because I'm his father and I get to make that decision. I love him. I have his best interests in mind. And shall not your heavenly father, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, shall not your heavenly father, would he withhold any good thing, good thing from him that asks it? Maybe it's not time for the donut. Maybe the prayer, my prayer was that God, I want to get rich so that I can go into ministry full time, make a lot of money so that I never have to worry about that. How stupid was that? But that was my idea. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I don't want to have to worry about it, so I'll make a lot of money. Bad theology and a bad idea. It didn't work. But that was me asking for that. And my, man, my loving, my heavenly father who knows me better than I know myself said, Darren, that's not my plan for you. And I could kick and scream and pout all day long, but it wasn't his answer for me. And so what I can do instead is just relax and know that it isn't about me doing something more, doing something better, doing something enough, but just relaxing under the yoke that Jesus said was light. The burden that he said was easy in his presence. And as I become more mature in the faith, knowing that just like my older daughter, my oldest daughter, she doesn't understand everything implicitly. And there are definitely times where she'll storm off and shut the door because it wasn't fair that she didn't get to do something. But she understands more than she did when she was five. Because she's beginning to understand, to trust daddy that I've got her best interests in mind. She's getting better at it. Better. (laughs) And I say to you and to me today, we just get a little better at it. Because again, we can kick and scream all we want. It's only, it's, we're the only ones that are going to suffer. When Ethan drops in the middle of the floor to pitch a fit, it makes me no difference. He's still not getting the donut. Because that was never the point to begin with. It was the point of what is good for him at that moment in time. What's good for you? What's good for I? It's why we got to have the Holy Spirit. Because for you, it might be that God wants you to be wealthy. He might want you to have these things so that you can provide for others. He might want Eric and Tisra to go to India, but he might want you to stay here so you can send people. you got to depend on the Holy Spirit to lead you and understand and become skilled in the word of righteousness. And understanding this, that it is not about earning his love, it is about responding to it. Because when I do those things, when I pray, when I read my Bible, which I do, by the way, I used to do it because I thought I had to. I used to, it just used to stink because I'd get that one-year Bible thing and I'd get to about Leviticus in February and I'd just bomb. You gotta be kidding me. It's talking about, you know, going to the bathroom and outside of town and burying it. What does that even mean? I, you know, it's, and, I, and I would fail because I was doing it not because, not because I was responding to his love for me, but because I thought I had to to get something from him. Like he's Monty Hall and I'm negotiating for what was behind curtain number one. It's so much easier than that. It's so much lighter. Because what happened with Mephibosheth was later in life, when Absalom, the king's son, would mount a rebellion. Mephibosheth, did he take advantage of it? Did he say, oh, I'm out of town? No, no, no. He loved the king because of the kindness that the king had shown to him. And when that happened, at the risk of his very life, he put on sackcloth and he put on ashes and he didn't shower, he didn't bathe in prayer and in support of king. And I say to you and to me that when we go to India, when we go to Haiti, when we write a check to send somebody to those places, when we are praying, when we are worshiping, it isn't to get something, it's in response to something that already happened in me. When I become skilled in the word of righteousness, then I worship the Lord based upon what he did for me. And that's a whole lot better way 
than the you know, six-week-long prayer thing just to press into the kingdom. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but if you're doing it just to press in, you're already there. You don't get any more. This whole more of you, more. Stop it. You already have enough. <laughs> it's there. You don't have to ask for any more. It's already in you. What Jesus has done in you is already there. And when you respond to that, whether it's with, I turn my back on the things of the world, not because I'm trying to get something or earn something, or even because I'm scared of it. I just, I just love Jesus that much because of what he did with me. And trusting that the Holy Spirit will do it inside of me. His grace, just like it was for the people at Antioch, it is like it is for the people of Conduit. It is enough for you and for me. And I'd like to pray with you this morning. It's, it's 11.50, so we're going to just send you home. But I'd like to send you home knowing that His grace is enough. And I'd like to... Sorry. I'm, yeah, that's what that means. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I know, I'm calling, calling an audible. <laughs> I've taken enough of your time, and I want you to walk out just remembering these words, that His grace is enough, that His kindness, and I'm encouraging not to frustrate the grace of God. As I pray for you, I guess, guys, if you want to pass the offering buckets, if you give out of anything other than your love for the Lord, just don't. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, if you're giving out of, of manipulation, and what, don't do that. So if you feel that I'm manipulating you, get a pass. Don't give. But if you're giving out of love for the Lord and what he's done in your life, and part of your response, I'm just giving in an offering because of what he did for me. Man, the buckets are coming your way. If you're a visitor, you keep those cards and hand them in. But I want to pray for you and for I that we will become skilled in the word of righteousness, skilled in what God has done for you and I, that it was complete, that it's enough, and that your temptation to, like Peter, go back under the law, back under rules and rituals and regulations, that we just repent of that. And go back to the simplicity of what Jesus did for us. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. That your grace is enough. That I can leave here today knowing that not only are my sins taken care of, but my entire life is provided for because of what you did. And even if I've got a limp to the table because my walk isn't necessarily pure that I can walk with the pride that comes from you that I can walk with my head held high because of you giving me holiness as a king as a gift not with arrogance because I made it happen but with humility and gratitude because of it was just a really good gift it really is great news Lord, let us not frustrate the grace of God. Accept it for what it is. In your name we pray. Amen.